You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shekhar Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Retail Perch, the first one in 2023. That's 2023. I don't know how we got to this far. I thought yesterday it was two, uh, year 2000. Uh, but anyway, here we are in 2023. And you may notice today I am alone uh, because my co-host Gary Hawkins is recovering from food poisoning, uh, coming back from Orlando, where we had a fantastic show. And uh, it's great to be back in person again. And I think we've had a full year of in-person conferences. I know NRF was last week. Uh, FMI was uh, just over this weekend, midwinter. And from what I heard, NRF was a big hit. We had the regular crowds coming back in, uh, which is fantastic. And I think nothing can possibly replace face-to-face -face meetings, sitting down with people over dinner and talking about stuff. And uh, I hope you guys are doing the same out there. So anyway, for the first episode of 2023, I think we're starting off with a bang because this is a topic that Gary and I have discussed many a time on the show. And we talk about data and um, AI and uh, you know how do we standardize data and uh, make it more available to machine learning platforms. Um, you know, I think we're looking for standards and looks like we may have found a part of the answer in today's guest. So I want to introduce uh, to you Randy Mercer. He comes from One World Sync and Randy's got a terrific history and I'm going to let him explain his background and what he does. So Randy, welcome to the Retail Perch. Uh, thanks, Shikar. Happy to, happy to be here. Happy to join uh, all the listeners today. Terrific. And I, you know, so Randy, if you can take a few minutes, just give us a quick background you know, your professional background, how'd you wind up doing what you're doing and what you're passionate about, then I think we can, there's a ton of material. So I have a feeling the 30 minutes that we normally take for these shows, it's going to be a challenge to stick to it. But, you know, but we're going to do our best because we're good about, uh, you know, we're all about data, right, Randy? So we're going to make sure we package it clearly <laughs> with yeah. the right people so randy you can take it away just tell us a little bit about yourself sure so as you'll learn quickly i'm uh, i'm i'm more than happy to talk about this this subject because i've been in the space of product content for almost two decades uh, now the last nine years of that with one world think uh, leading product direction and then i worked with one world think for about 13 years before that as a technology partner where i built uh, and co-sold with one world think a product information management tool uh, that we now own and sell to our target market but uh, so I've been here for for a long time, uh, in just leading uh, a very a variety of areas within product content. So enjoy talking about it. Have seen the evolution of how product content has been acquired by retail organization, optimized, um, and so forth for for a long time. So a lot of perspectives on it. That's terrific. And when uh, by education, what did you do before you got into the workforce? Uh, I was I was a developer, so you know went to college for for computer science. Uh, I was a developer um, almost up until I joined One World Think about nine years ago. I was still writing code uh, and product managing that product information management tool that I spoke about a minute ago. So you know was always into technology, and it was just by happenstance that roughly about 2001 or so, when global standards kind of started to kick up to in the interest of of improving and optimizing data that mainly at supply chain back in those days. I just happened to have a customer that I was doing other development work 
four that found themselves in the middle of that initiative. And so I started doing work on that typically. And that's, you know, one thing led to another and here I am today. So, so you felt the pain firsthand. 100%. I had a number of customers that were in the grocery space specifically. So, so food product manufacturers, and we were doing other development work in the areas of ERP integration and so forth. And again, they all found themselves <clears throat> part of being called upon as part of these initiatives that started in the early 2000s to synchronize their product information in different ways. And they, and they didn't really know what the ask was, so they turned it over to me to figure that out. And right. I did that and wrote some tools to, to help them out. And it evolved really into the product information management tool that we sell today. Wow. Wow. So, uh, so tell me about uh, what, what, what do you find? What, what do you think are the key uh, blockers for retailers to get good product information? And is there an effort? I know, remember a long, long time ago, there used to be an organization called ARTS, Association for Retail Technology Standards. I don't know what became of it because I haven't heard much about it. But, but I think a lot of retailers that we go into, we find that their product descriptions, they're just out of whack, right? Yeah. It's, um, sure. yeah, and a lot of times they've been abbreviated to fit into the point of sale to, to print on the receipt. Yeah. So they never really cared about maintaining it appropriately. So when they transition to e-commerce, it's a giant challenge now to be able to provide all this stuff. So uh, help me understand how does this information flow from manufacturers all the way to retailers and what have you guys done to kind of ease that process yeah I, I wish there was there was one answer for that but but we're, we're trying to get to a point where there's there's one answer but you know going all the way back to you know when I first got into this space the, the way this all worked it was very manual right so so brands were trying to provide product information in any form that a retailer could consume it and it ranged from emails to spreadsheets back then not that those have been completely replaced, but you know, a variety of manual mechanisms. And the, the end result of that was that the retailers and the brands were often speaking a different language relative to products, right? The product ID, just as an example, was never consistent or often wasn't. And it resulted in invoice uh, issues, ordering issues, you know, even into the logistical elements of cubing out trucks and getting things slotted in warehouses. So over the years, that has evolved a lot into the more e-com elements uh, of all of that. You know, you mentioned product descriptions. Back in the day, we cared about a, a little POS description that, that would show up on a printed receipt and maybe a longer right. one that would show up on an invoice. Well, right. today, we care about very SEO-oriented right. uh, descriptions that show up on a website, a completely different set of challenges associated with that, right? So definitely an evolution over the years relative to that kind of information. And then of course you have the organizations like GS1, which are trying to do some kind of standardization going beyond the UPC. They're into now product description, attributes, features, right. so on and so forth. So did you also get into beyond just, you know, whatever the product description is, there's obviously attributes, package, sizing, there's advertising, sure, sure. like, you know, content associated with it. You guys sure. manage all of that as well? You know, that, that really is our, you know, our, our history. We, you know, when we started out as an organization and we've evolved a lot over, over 20 years. And again, I saw it from the perspective of a partner for the first decade of that. But, you know, we started out, it was, it was all of that type of information. It was, it was all about the packaging hierarchies, the different packaging configurations in the consumer unit, the case packs, the pallet configurations and so forth. 
And a lot of that aimed at just improving the supply chain operations, you know, ordering, warehousing, all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so we, you know, that's still near and dear to our heart. We, we will, you know, we say a lot, you can't sell what you can't ship, right? So you can get really good at e-commerce and we have lots of our customer base that has, that has used us to do that, get really good at it. But if you can't fulfill those orders, you know, what good is it, is it doing right. you, right? So we profess constantly that you, you can't just focus on the e-com content and forget about all that stuff that you need to just run your business. So yeah, we, we, we focus on all of it. Mm. Wow. So how, how do players, like there are content providers, like, like your Syndigo or, mm-hmm. you know, companies like that, how do they play in the space? And do you guys work with companies like them? Yeah. So, you know, when you look at, you know, that organization specifically, and there's a few others that, you know, in some way they're competitive to some of the things that we do in other ways, there's, there's uh, cooperation and, and we work in partnership with a lot of those organizations as well. So, when you look at you know some of the elements of their business, very much aimed at content creation, ultimately you've got to get that out to the retail community to do its its job. And there's some proprietary delivery mechanisms that are used by them and others to do mm-hmm. that. But then there's also this this element of global standards delivery mechanisms that can be used to do that. That's the space that we I would say we're the 800 pound gorilla in that space. And so we find ourselves, you know, cooperating uh, or partnering uh, with the likes of, you know, your Syndigo, Salsify, Data Council, Brand Bank, you know, some of those organizations that you see out there, most of their content is some way, fashion or another, just it's flowing through our platform to get its way to the, to the retail community, right? Got so, on. and then when you look at what they do, we also do this, the same thing in the interest right. of helping our brands that are deficient in content. You know, if they don't have images, we take them. If they don't have copy, we write it. Those kinds of things as well. Wow. So how have you seen this impact business? I mean, what is, you know, if a retailer were to say, okay, what's the benefit of having, what are some examples that you could give me? Um, apart from the obvious, which is finding the product on your site. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's the end game. And then being able to fulfill that order when the, when the consumer makes a, makes a conversion decision. You know, the, the challenges that have, that we see in our, in our retail customer base, and, and clearly it projects itself onto the brands uh, as well, is the, the more options there are to create and manage and deliver content, the more confusion sometimes gets introduced, right? So mm. what I mean by that is back in the day, you know, when we, in the, the first decade of our existence as an organization, very dedicated to the application of global standards to the, to the concept of collecting and managing and ultimately delivering content. And again, very supply chain oriented back, back then. Over time, some retailers got um, mildly impatient about how they intended to collect uh, e-com oriented content and started introducing proprietary mechanisms. And you still see that happening today. And, and when we look at our brand customers, they just throw up their hands because now it's just one more thing that's unique to this organization that they have to learn to do right. and try to satisfy. And you start multiplying that across the retailers that have done that. Uh, it, it, it represents a lot of cost in the system, a lot of confusion on the part of brands and a lot of extra investment on the part of the brands right. that ultimately makes its way into the, into the, the ecosystem. So that's probably the biggest challenge that we've seen. And we've seen a lot of retailers that went down that proprietary road now swinging back to more of a, a standards-oriented approach to how they acquire content. Yeah, I think the other challenge that I've seen is categorization. Is It looks like every retailer wants to start with 
some standard industry-based categorization and then they diverge over time. Then they have to maintain their categorization. And then yep. when they're trying to interface with an organization that's giving them data, it doesn't fit in directly because now it has to go into their tagging system. So it, does, it looks like there is no centralized tagging mechanism. And I know in companies like Netflix who have you know 100,000 movies, there's whole departments that are just dedicated to tagging content because that's how their uh, AI systems learn how to surface content for their you know, subscribers. And it seems like if there is no standardized categorization and tagging mechanism, you know, it's while uh, it's, it becomes a, okay, which is the best tagging mechanism? Which one should I adopt? Which means that once you're tied into it, you're kind of locked in and doing anything else becomes difficult. It's just all these little things. And it feels like the industry should really get together as a consortium and say, hey, we need to set up a standard that we can all subscribe to because at the end of the day, and I'm sure there's efforts along those lines that you guys are kind of thinking about. Thinking about slash participating in, right? right. So, so there, there's, a, there's, you know, over the years, there have been countless, you know, initiatives that have been um, taken up by the retail industry to, to try to arrive at least co at common ground relative to what could be standardized. And when you look at, you know, you mentioned taxonomy or classification, one of the biggest, right. biggest challenges we have, we're constantly reconciling what we view as, as, as close to a standard taxonomy as there can be to that of our retail customers and then helping brands try to translate to that as well. So certainly a challenge, but that's not all of it, right? So there's all this value added attribution that goes into the product data that gets delivered to retailers that they use to you know, run their e-com experiences, parametric search and all of, all of that kind of stuff. So while there's efforts to standardize and to all find some common ground in terms of how they collect and manage data and so forth, there's always going to be this proprietary competitive nuance to that where retailers all think they have this special sauce relative to their attribution and, and they do. And so they, you know, there's, there's trade secrets that, you know, kind of go protected and, and ultimately don't make their way into standards-based organizations or, or right. mechanisms. So when we look at our platform, we're looking at it as how do we use a, the global standards as a basis for it and then allow ourselves to go off road to support, you know, specific retailer things, you know, proprietary to those organizations in such a way that the brands don't have to really know that it's proprietary. It's just, this is all the data I have to provide mm. and I provide it. That's interesting. I, I was sitting at a session at FMI Midwinter uh, last weekend. And one of the things that they were talking about was uh, uh, smart labels and then multimedia, right? So having video media associated with through, a, now that people are familiar with QR codes on the mm -hmm. packaging, you know, it's linking to a site which is providing more data and interactivity about the product. Is that something that you guys also consider? 100%. So one, you know, one of the big uh, initiatives right now in the retail grocery space is the concept of 2D barcodes and how do you use them, right? QR codes is the one that we know right. the best. So how do you use that as a way to deliver some content that historically has been difficult to get in front of the consumer or really expensive to get in front of the consumers, right? So you know, the, the smart label initiative within the consumer packaged goods industry is just an example of, of, of one area of application of 2D barcodes. But when you look at it as a way to get just very enriched media, AR, virtual right. reality, videos, all of that stuff, Q 
QR codes are just at the center of that. And yeah, we that's you know part of what we're helping all of our customers with. Yeah, and it seems like, I mean, it'd be a great effort, initiative to combine uh, all of that. And you know, the, the idea is that QR code is a great bridge between physical and digital because it allows you to you know, take paper, stick something on it and experiencing that through your phone. And, yep. and the beauty is the content that it leads to can be dynamic. It can be changed. It can be seasonal. It can, you know, sure. it, you know what I scan today may not be the same thing that I see t- tomorrow. Yep. In fact, exactly we had, right. and, and we had, uh, we had somebody from a company called Beacon Stack on our, um, uh, on one of our episodes, uh, I think in December and their whole business is about creating QR code driven experiences where they help brands create landing pages, templated out and tie it back to QR code. So it seems like there's a huge opportunity if there is a, obviously, you know, product information is more than just, I can find it. I may not even be able to find this off the internet. I mean, this may be just available in packaging. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think there's, there's beauty to that because then you're driving people to the product on the shelf experience certain things that they can otherwise. Yeah. Um, so, so outside of supermarket retail, I'm sure there's plenty of case studies that you have where you found that, hey, changing this, changing that, enriching product data has made a huge impact. Anything that you can share here? With? Yeah, yeah. You know, a couple of areas that are the most obvious. You know, we did a study, a consumer study a while back aimed at just understanding consumer habits and, and trends toward, you know, what is the consumer looking uh, for when they go online? And we found, you know, most of what we found wasn't, wasn't a surprise, but, you know, the biggest um, area of content that a consumer expects to see is images, you know, very thorough imagery that depicts exactly what I'm going to get. When I go to the store and pick it up curbside, I know exactly what this thing's going to look like. And that's super important. So that one came out on top is the, the thing that if it's, if it's there, it's going to, you know, potentiate a, a conversion decision. If it's not, I'm just probably going to move on and not even look at the product. Or if it's crummy imagery, I'm not going to look at it very long. So that one came out on top. But the other area that we see a lot is, you know, on most major e-com sites today, at the top of the, of the, of the product detail page, you're going to see a carousel and some text copy that describes that. But if you scroll down the page, often you'll see a layer of content that we refer to as inline content or enriched content where the brand has the opportunity to provide their own content that you know describes their brand or their product any way they want. Videos, AR, VR, more text, recipes if it's food, you know, you can put just about anything there. That's one of the biggest areas where we've we've done A-B testing a lot relative to our solution that provides that content. And it's, you know, the the results are they're always very compelling, right? And it ranges based on product category how effective it is. But it's always in double digits relative to the uplift associated with providing that kind of content. So wow. clear messages, the longer you get the consumer's attention, the, the more you inform him about what your product is, uh, and then the more accurate it is so that you don't manufacture returns by compelling them to buy something that isn't what they expected, and then they return it, and then you've got a bigger problem. You know, just the, you know, the more you do that with content, the, the better the experience is going to be for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, and off late, of course, we've had many conversations on this uh, podcast about health and wellness and food retail. And I think as people are more and more conscious about what they eat, what they consume, what standards does it meet, transparency in, you know, source to uh, shelf. I mean, all that becomes important. And the only only place you can really find that information is 
well, I guess a lot of people just go on blogs and see what other people have said about it. But I think manufacturers have a great opportunity here to connect directly and create some level of trust around the brand by being transparent with that information. And I'm guessing stuff like that is also things that you guys think about, right? Yeah, when you, when you think of food specifically um, today, for most consumers, they're worried about what's in that product, the, the ingredients that went into it, the, the end, you know, the nutritional fact panel um, and what it says about that product. A big one today, allergens, right? You can get yourself, you know, sued out of existence if you, if you don't, aren't transparent about those types of things. So for the food products, those are all areas of, of attribution um, and imagery in some cases that you know, clearly very important to the to the the consumers, but then the brand, or I'm sorry, the retailers are often the ones that are projecting that information onto the, the consumer. Uh, so it is a, a massive area of the work that we do relative to helping brands get their content into our platform so we can deliver it to retailers in a way that it's complete, it's accurate, they can keep it up to date. Um, and so a lot of tools associated with that type of, of, of content. That's terrific. So, so where do you see, I mean, uh, I also came off of a session at, the FMI, we're talking about the metaverse and we're talking about augmented reality. And, you know, where, where do you see, because that's also now tied to triggering content based of interaction with the product, mm -hmm. right? And, yep. you know, at some point, if whoever comes up with smart glasses and you can show a product in front of your face and it's able to bring this AR content live around the product, yep. uh, eventually I'm guessing that's also, you know, tagging, that's part of contribution in some sense, right? Yep, that's it, it, exactly right. So, you know, one of the challenges that the food food products have is, well, I'll step back a little bit. So AR, VR, we help our customers with that today. We produce that type of, type of content. And a lot of times we're producing it for products like consumer electronics, um, mm -hmm. something that, you know, a printer that might sit on your desk and how do you virtually place that on your desk in real time by scanning a Q card or a Q code, a right. QR code, right? To apply that to the to the uh, grocery space, it's it's a different problem you're solving, right? Because you don't care about how it's going to look sitting on your desk, right? right. You, you care about other things, and one of the challenges you know, in, the, in your stomach. <laughs> well, that's yeah, exactly, and right. and and a challenge that you have in the in the consumer packaged goods space is sometimes packages are so small mm. that you just don't have a lot of land, real estate to put as much information as you would really want to about that product, right? So the concept of feeling a little bit of that uh, real estate for a QR code that ultimately you can then use as a way to, to, to provide much more information about that product. That's where we're seeing it go in the food space, right? Mm -hmm. So when you look at AR, VR in food, it's more you're producing experience that ultimately is, you know, in a lot of cases, it's aimed at, you know, mildly entertaining, right? But, right. but the end goal really is to be able to provide information that you simply cannot fit on a little package that's Right. You know, two inches long and three inches high, right? So true, true, true. Yeah. So it seems like, you know, you know, a lot of people, a lot of shoppers might just pick up products on a shelf and put them in their in their cart, but they don't necessarily sometimes appreciate the amount of effort that goes into the packaging, the information, where it's stored, how how do we make sure it's consistent, updated, and uh, you know, I think this is this is an exciting conversation, and and looks like. You know, we're just getting started in the process of standardizing this. We're not there yet. I guess there's still some effort in the, in terms of. So, what, what do you see as the future? What's the where are we going with this? Uh, is this going to be solved ever? Or is it going to be an ongoing thing that we continuously asymptotically get to the final solution? Or yeah, you know, 
you know, I, I guess if, if you ask the people that I report to, um, I would say we're solving it, right? So that's that's my job is to solve it. So when you looked at things that we've done with our with our solution portfolio over the last couple of years, it has really been aimed at filling gaps in content acquisition, right? Mm -hmm. And the basic ones are the brands just don't have the content, right? So okay, we've we've added solutions that we can create it for you, or it's just not very accurate. All right, well we've added services whereby we can quality check that, right? Really trying to fill the gaps to get to what is a very comprehensive set of content that can be delivered to a retailer that we refer to as, as ready, ready to use, right? It's got everything that retailer needs, some of it pri proprietary to, to operate their channels, right? The, 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 the more comprehensive we get about that, um, the, the more that our retail community is leaning toward that as, as kind of the standard for how they want to get content, right? Mm -hmm. And, and their, their basis for content acquisition. So, you know, my hope is that we get to a point where we can, with the help of some of the other organizations that create content out there, we talked about a few of them early on, the help of those organizations get to where there is more of a standard, right? So we kind of got there on the supply chain side. So now right. how do we project that onto the e-com side and really get there? And we get closer to it every day. Right, right. Terrific. So so do you work directly with retailers or you work with mostly brands and, and what's your model? It's it is both. So, so you know, most of the major retailers on the planet, you know, the think think of the big guys. Most of them are customers today, um, and they use us as as part of their content acquisition strategy. Okay. And then the other side of the equation is is the you know thousands of brands that we work with that represent you know the biggest names in CPG uh, for starters, but we go into other product verticals as well. So we're probably about ninety ten in terms of percentages from brands to retailers. For obvious uh, reasons, right? There's right, you know, right, not right, as many retailers. So, yep, uh, direct relationships with the retailers. Terrific. That's terrific. No, this has been very enlightening for me. So, you know, like I said, we're going to run through our 30 minutes really fast here. So, <laughs> no, this is a fun topic. And I think, you know, I, I just want to leave this, uh, I mean, you know, retailers out there listening, and we've kind of probably beaten this topic to death about data standardization and maintaining clean data. And and well, at the end of the day, no matter what gets produced between brand relationships and a company like One World Sync, you know, finally the data is sitting on some retailer prem and their attention to maintaining a clean set of data, updating it, having the right relationships to keep them fresh are critical at the end of the day, because otherwise, you know, that's the weakest link in the chain, so to say, at some point in time. Right. And uh, so if you're a retailer out there, I would say pay close attention to the quality of your data because everything that's happening in the future is going to be dependent on your data. So, yeah. Well, I uh, listen, Randy, it's been terrific talking to you. And uh, do you have any, anything that you want to end, end here with uh, before we close this session out? Anything you want sure. To yeah. Just, just to kind of build on what, what you just talked about, about the attention required to content and, and what we know is, and we've seen it for 20 years is the day that, the day after content gets created, it's often out of date. Something changed about that product, especially in the CPG space. So it's not just about getting the content one time. It's about having this sustainable ecosystem of how you keep it accurate, keep it current, and, and just stay out in front of that. And that's what our platform provides is a very sustainable mechanism mm -hmm. for that. And then when you look at that and you look at all the challenges that go into that, and it ranges from just the origins of content uh, to, to the QC around it and keeping it updated, 
again, what we've tried to do is just pad our portfolio with solutions that just lend themselves to all of those problems and make sure it's accurate. So it's just it's such a key point that if it's not current and it's not accurate, it just it, it, it's, it's no good. So right. important right. point. Terrific. Well, thank you so much. It's been a great episode. And uh, I'm going to ask Stephanie to judge how I did as a solo. Okay. <laughs> you did great. I had fun. I had fun. I, I, I had great fun. And, uh, you know, we'll look forward to getting you back on as things change in this industry. We'll, we'll love to keep in touch with our guests and uh, have them repeat visit. And, uh, and you know what? If you send us your mailing address, Stephanie will make sure you get the Retail Purge coffee mug. So oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, you know, that'd be great. It's a very special mug. Makes your taste, your coffee taste different. I can tell you better. But thank you so much for being a guest. And uh, folks, again, happy new year. Well, happy 2023. I know it's going to be an exciting year for all you guys. We wish you guys a very happy and healthy one. And uh, here's uh, Shaker Raman signing out. And we're wishing Gary recover quickly and be back on the next episode. But Randy, thank you so much for being a guest on the Retail Perch. And over and out. Okay. Thanks, Shaker. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.